Top Hill Recording Podcast, episode 38. What's going on, Neil? What's up, buddy? How you doing? We're doing pretty well. Had some rainy days, and it's good to be in here with another podcast with another great guest. We've got Brecken Miles tonight. Brecken, how are you? Oh, I am doing great, y'all. We know that uh, we mentioned bourbon. You're like, I'm all right, I'm going to go grab a bourbon. So we're going to open a bourbon here. What, what are you drinking tonight? Um, well, you know, it's technically whiskey. I got a little Jack Daniels. That, that okay. counts. All right, a little Tennessee whiskey. Is this our first gift bottle of bourbon that we've had for the it podcast? It is. It is, and it's interesting. This is a very interesting uh, bottle. So it's called Agitator. It is bottled, no, it's uh, distilled here in Kentucky for a couple of years, and then it is shipped to California and aged in red wine barrels. So I think Agitator Wine, I mean, I think they're a yes. winery, and, yes. they're, and they're kind of experimenting with Kentucky bourbon. So Sounds and, delicious. It, it, it's going to be interesting, Brecken, because uh, <laughs> this was given to me by, by my, my dad, uh, who listens to the podcast. Thank you, Dad. <laughs> uh, and on the bottom left, it says batch number one. <laughs> <laughs> so this could be amazing or terrible. This is highly experimental. <laughs> I'm expecting it to be somewhat like Angel's Envy. Isn't Angel's Envy, uh, isn't it aged in port barrels also? I have no idea. I think so. Well, cheers, man. So, cheers, Brecken. Cheers, Brecken. Cheers, Neil. Cheers. Thank you, guys. All right. And we'll I forgive you for right next to me too, so. <laughs> we'll forgive you for having Tennessee whiskey on our Kentucky <sighs> Bourbon <laughs> podcast. But. Yeah, man, it was either that or tequila. I wasn't going there today. It's, it's only Monday. <laughs> That's not bad. It's Dude, got a pretty. It's it's, it's pretty, pretty smooth. And it's uh, got a pretty heavy port wine flavor, doesn't it? Mm. More than like Angel's Envy. I don't know. I don't like wine. Oh, man, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a sucker for port wine. Yeah. Really? I don't see. I don't know how. To, I, I don't. I guess I've never drank it right. You know. <laughs> you gotta be, gotta be careful with wine. Drink. <laughs> that, man. It's yeah. in the house a lot. But I just never. Yeah, your mom's a big wine drinker. Mom and my wife loves it and. I just never got into it. And she can never hide her wine drinking because her teeth turn purple. My mom? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Breaking, won't you start us off with telling us a little bit about your early musical life? Where did you first get into music, and when did you first realize that music was going to be an important part of your life? Um, so music started out, you know, I was, I was a middle child of three kids. Um, so, you know, my dad always played... And he wanted one of us to actually start picking up the guitar and playing. Um, so I got into it when I was about, oh man, 10 years old-ish. And I watched him playing bands all my life. And, you know, so it kind of went down the story. If you guys ever read my, uh, uh, what do you call it, like bio, I always kind of joke around there as well. Because, you know, my first song I ever learned was on a uh, Fender Stratocaster. And my dad had given me like this like Marshall half stack I had in my bedroom, right? He was a ten year old kid on a Fender Strat, like a Marshall half stack. Oh man, what what a way to go. <laughs> Absolutely. So I start out learning um, the intro chords to Country Roads. And so I mean I would come home from school every day and I would just play this nonstop. And finally, probably after like month one and a half, he got home from work one day and I don't know if he just had a bad day or whatever it was. He walked in my room. He's like, damn it, boy, I learned a new damn song or stop playing guitar. <laughs> like, oh, all right. So from that point on, I started getting more into like, you know, ACDC sticks, um, you know, some more just kind of learn how to read tabs and go from there. But it actually wasn't until um, so all of us, all my brother and my sister as well, 
when we turned 12, we got our first boom box. Yeah, uh-huh. Everybody doesn't know what a boom box is. You put a CD player or a CD in there and you, you know, let the songs go. And well, um, actually, in our, in our days, we put cassette tapes in them. Not your day, bro. I'm a CD <laughs> guy. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So I got my first my first uh, ever album was uh, Garth Brooks' No Fences, and that's kind of was like, oh man, this is this is some good stuff right here. But it wasn't until I went to uh, you know Summerfest in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It's the world's largest music festival, and I saw Kenny Chesney, um, and it had nothing to do with the music at all. Man, it was just uh, here I am, this little maybe 15, 16 year old kid walking around with all these beautiful women in you know, Daisy Dukes and cut off shirts. I'm like, I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> so Kenny Chesney, so did you, uh, after going to the concert and, and seeing the, <laughs> the, music, the reaction yeah. from, well, not the, yeah, the music, did, uh, did anything in the music and his performance or any of his songs capture you at all, at all or is it just about the, this is a pretty cool visual? <laughs> It was, uh, well, I mean, the, the songs in general were, you know, they were awesome. You know, it's, it's Kenny, you know, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, but he just, he put on a great show, you know, the big lights. It was just one of those kind of things. I'm like, it's, that's what really, I mean, Garth Brooks is what turned me on to country music with like the, the storytelling because it reminded me of growing up listening to like, you know, Jim Croce, James Taylor, like those singer songwriter guys. And Garth had those, you know, stories in there. And then Kenny did the same kind of thing, but he had, for me, it was just that, like that summer vibe, kind of poppiness sound to it as well. Where I was kind of like, man, this is this is some good stuff. And so that's kind of where I started focusing then on you know the country music aspect of things. So how uh, how old were you when when you went to Summerfest? Man, I think I was like fourteen or fifteen. So you you had already been playing guitar for a little yeah. while at that so point. I was uh, I was a little you know I consider myself a little punk skater boy. You know I still played sports <laughs> and all that stuff, but I was into like. Blink-182, Sum-41, Smashing Pumpkins, Ozzy Osbourne, like these heavy, like, kind of riff stuff. Again, I'm playing on an electric guitar. And, and, if, and you got a, finally, if you got a Marshall's half-stack, man, that's yeah. what you expected to oh, have. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, come Just on, bro. It. <laughs> so after I, uh, and it was hilarious, too, because I was, I was telling a buddy of mine the other day that, you know, when I would get in trouble, my parents didn't ground me from TV or video games because, you know, I never did that to begin with. They would literally take away my guitar. Ooh. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I was like, this is game over. They knew how to get a response. That's right. (laughs) So, uh, did you have an acoustic guitar already at this point, or was that like, hey, mom, dad, now I need an acoustic? You know, he did have an acoustic laying around. It was an acoustic electric. It was a very small body. I think it was called like a Vantage. And so that's where I kind of, it it still had that electric feel, a little tighter strings to the neck. And then it wasn't until maybe about. 19 when I really got my first acoustic guitar people don't realize the difference between like an electric and acoustic and even a classical guitar is like the neck sizes are a lot different so now oh, yeah. you're having to like refigure out how to you know play certain chords because your hand is not wrapping the same way it was before and yeah you're going um, back to the days of hand cramps and uh, especially oh, yeah. going from electric to uh, acoustic fingers That's hurting right. and everything Deeper yeah, calluses. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the hard part, man. You, lo- you lose cal. If you don't play for a little bit, you lose those calluses. You go back and uh, play a four-hour show. Like, you just look <laughs> out your hand. Like, oh, you can see the, every indent to where the strings are in your fingers. Like, God, this hurts. <laughs> in that last set, man, you're almost crying through the songs. Just like, all right, I- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it, He's but really it's going to hurt. He's really feeling his music this, this set. <laughs> He's into yeah. it. Yeah. Give me the electric. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even in the transition before going 
listening to country. Were you doing any writing as a kid at all when you were uh, going through that phase of, you know, harder music and the Blink-182 and everything else? You know, it was about, man, I had to be about 17, maybe 18. Cause it was like my first year of college. I was 18 then. First year of college um, is when I started really kind of dabbling around with, like, songwriting, just kind of like writing stories about like childhood things and you know out in the woods camping and this and that and um i want to say it was i don't know it was like the, the colgate country showdown is a, a a song writing thing they had and so i had written original song for that and how it went i couldn't even tell you anymore um <laughs> but it was one of those things where it was like yeah man like i can write songs and like so i wrote this just god awful song and went and performed it for some judges I obviously didn't win but um <laughs> Yeah, so about, about 18, 17, 18 is when I really kind of started getting into the art of actually songwriting. How did you go about figuring that out? Did you just, was, did it come easy? Was it something that once you were like, hey, I'm going to try to do this, it naturally fell out of you, or was it? <laughs> no, it, it's still not easy. No, it was, it, was, it was kind of that route, like, you know, your basic chords, and you'll, you'll have different people tell you different things all the time of, like, you know, how, how do you come up with a song? You know, for me, it was always... You know, I think of a certain you know, catchphrase or lyric, or I'll just grab a guitar and start playing, and I'll start kind of reminding or rem- memorizing words. I'm kind of just spilling out of my mouth or writing them down really quick. Um, but it really wasn't until I started going to Nashville and, and writing with my publisher and, and different artists down there that I was actually able to really hone in the um, you know, the phrasing and the actual artwork of writing songs. Mm. Was that Melissa from the start? That is Melissa from the start. How long has that relationship been? Uh, I think we're going on either six or seven years now, I want to say. Oh, wow. So you guys have been together since like the Sandbar EP. Yep. Exactly. Yep. It it was funny, too, because I was actually just talking to some people the other day, and they're like, well, how'd you get into this? And my whole thing was like, you know, Facebook at that time, you know, 2007 is really, really kind of like started taking off for me, you know, entering into college and whatever else. So my now wife, when I was just dating her, she was running this like little program called like In It For Love or something like that. And it was at this random bar in Milwaukee. I think I was like 21 at the time. And so she invited me to go while she was working. So I sat down at this bar stool by myself, you know, just being a socialite anyways. And this lady sitting next to me and I just start strike up a conversation with her. And she's like, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a musician. I play, I do this, you know. And she goes, you need to look up my friend Melissa. You know, she's a publisher out of uh, Nashville. It's, you know, I don't know if she likes me saying this or not. It's Hulk Hogan's niece. Like, all these different things. I'm like, what? What? Hold on. She yeah. didn't tell us that. <laughs> That's hilarious. How does she leave that out of the podcast? She didn't want to say that one. Hulk Hogan. Now nah, nah, she's going to kill me. <laughs> nah, we won't, we, we won't tell her. So, don't um, listen, Melissa. Yeah, so I, just, I literally just sent her a Facebook message like, Hey Melissa, I met your friend. Blah blah blah. Um, like, hey, I you know I sent you a you know a message, and I'm like, I met your friend, and blah blah blah. I'm like, I'd love to come down and write with you sometime. And her response literally was like, you know, hey, you know, you know, my friend's awesome. Glad she introduced you. If you're ever in Nashville, you know, look me up, and we'll figure something out. <laughs> so I literally just decided one day, me and my old guitar player, just like, you know what, let's go to Nashville. And, you know, just got in the car and drove down and wound up uh, also meeting a guy back in the day named uh, Bill White. 
used to be a radio programmer and a, a radio like personality in Milwaukee and so um, stayed in contact with him and so he was actually my first write ever in Nashville was with that guy and then went right from him over to Melissa and then we just hit it off and been together ever since. So, so awesome. was, uh, was the Sandbar EP, was that country? Yeah, so Sandbar EP, is, uh, it's, it's, it's country. It's not really a newer, like Sam Hunt kind of country stuff, but it has that, you know, I don't know how to really describe like the marketability of still, you know, country music. Uh, with the, you know, my, my whole thing is still trying to write those songs, either storytelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's funny because you mentioned this, you know, Sandbar, the EP, that song that I wrote, um, it was with me, my old guitar player, Judson, and, and uh, Bill Luigi. And my wife grew up in Dubuque, Iowa area. It's actually Dickieville on the other side of the side of the river. And she kept telling me about how they would go to these sandbars on the Mississippi River where they would just get into a boat, they'd grab a cooler, and they would literally just drive down the river and find a sandbar and run the boat right into the bar. And they would just like build a fire and hang out and party. And the next day they'd just drive down farther and do it again. And I was like, so that's a sandbar. And so I actually wrote that song never knowing like what it you know experiencing it myself until i did it i was like man i hit the spot on <laughs> <laughs> i would actually like to listen to a little bit of sandbar i've listened to all this uh, everything by the way and uh i do have a question liar out of me so you did that song on that ep and, yep. but it wasn't released till 2018 and it got you know some pretty good play uh and traction and it's a killer song i'd love to listen to that if you don't mind yeah, sure go for it hell yeah That taste of coffee Just wasn't for me Till you gave it to me On your morning kiss Always said I hated that music Till you danced to it And now I love it I must admit Yeah, girl, you got me, got me Wrapped around your finger, baby Saying things I never I'm eating my words with the love we make And now you got me thinking, thinking It's kind of nice jumping off the deep end I'm everything I swore I'd never be You make a liar out of me You made a liar out of me Thought I loved a single life Hey everybody, Brad and I want to say thank you for listening and thank you for the support. Please continue to listen and share this podcast on all platforms that you can. And if you'd like to support us monthly, we're set up now where you can go to anchor.fm slash top hill recording, hit the support button, 99 cents, 4.99 or 9.99 per month. Any amount would be greatly appreciated. Now back to the podcast. So the history behind that song is, you know, all the songs on that EP, uh, starting from One Man Gypsy Show. Uh, One Man Gypsy Show is like my really first ever solo write. And it's all about, like, you, you always hear the influences of Megan throughout each one of these songs. And so Liar to Me came about. Um, there's me, Melissa, and our buddy named Kenneth Duncan. 
and we sat down and kind of had this, you know, idea of you made a liar out of me. <clears throat> and it kind of went through the fact of like different things along the lines. Like when I first met Megan, I hated sushi, right? Like couldn't stand the stuff. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't a big coffee drinker, like all these different things. And, you know, just in general going through life and, um, trying new things. Yeah. I came back. I'm like, oh, wow, you made a liar out of me. Like I said, I never would do it. I did it. It's great. I love it. Cool. You know, that's kind of how that whole song just kind of developed from there. So 2018, I read that you uh, were in some type of Nashville competition. Was that a songwriting competition or? Yep, Nash Next competition. You ended up as one of the top finalists. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so we did the, um, you know, a buddy of mine who I, I met years ago, you know, his name is Sam. He's from the band Radio Romance. And they had won it the year prior, too. And I was like, man, this is a cool little thing. Let me try this. And so they have different stations that are all like, I want to say it's like the Nash Icon stations um, all around the country. And so local artists submit their songs. And then you know, it goes to a panel. If you win the local, you go to regional. If you win regional, you go to nationals. So I was fortunate enough to make it to top 10. I got to play on stage. And then, you know, unfortunately, I didn't, didn't win it. It was an awesome experience itself. Uh, the song we played there was Something About Ya, which is uh, also on that EP as well. But we come to find out after talking to some different judges and stuff is that, like, you know, we were right there in contention. It was just how it all kind of played out. Like, pretty much I took second in the nation for the songwriting competition, which is, was still pretty wow. cool. Yeah, pretty cool breaking right still. Well, that's yeah. amazing. Hell yeah. Nothing wrong with being the second best in that crowd. Not in that, not in <laughs> no. no, not in that. <laughs> Yo, and when you have, like, you know, uh, Dan Huff and Cindy Watts and Terry Clark and them saying, like, that's a badass song. I'm like, hey, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you shared a stage with some uh, pretty big names. Yeah, over the years, I've had a, a phenomenal opportunity to play with a bunch of different artists. You know, a lot of it's been up in, like, the Illinois, Wisconsin area. Everything, Brad Paisley, um, Kit Moore. I think Kenny was on there at some point as well, but, you know, we were like, you know, obviously still being an opening act, but it's still cool to be able to go in there and see all these guys, how they set up and, you know, the hundred semis they have rolling in and. Well, that's, a, that's probably a pretty good education just for the next step, you know? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was, it was a great, it was a great time. I think the, the coolest people that I met um, was Brothers Osborne. Oh, um, yeah. And then uh, Brad Paisley rolled up in his. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it or not, but he he did at the time have it was a you know Prevost bus, but it was Cadillac, like so <laughs> all the Prevost signs off it had like the Cadillac symbols on it. It was like jet red with like the black stripes and like it was just it was the sickest bus I've ever seen in my life. Oh, I bet <laughs> I bet there was not an uh, expense spared on that bus. Peyton not rides around in that now. I bet you can go number two in <laughs> yeah. that bus. <laughs> <laughs> As you're taking this path and developing your um, yourself as a musician and who you're going to be, who would you say were your biggest influences that you haven't mentioned? So musically biggest influences, um, you know, I'm still hands down in, in love with uh, the old Croce, James Taylor, like Eagles kind of stuff. You know, if people always ask, like, what do you listen to? I'm like, I, I really don't listen to a lot of country music when I'm like mm -hmm. actually listening to music. Yeah. Um, I find it hard these days with some of the songs that are out there. I'm just like, it's just, it's not my cup of tea, which is totally fine. It's still great songs, but I just love that singer songwriter. And I always compare myself to like the Croce James Taylor writing with like the nineties Garth Brooks kind of like showmanship and like 
kind of soundish to it as well. Yeah, you know, you're kind of touching on something that that I wonder about a lot, and especially not that you have like an old school sound or anything, because like you said, you just kind of defined uh, your style in in a lot of ways. But with country music moving so far away from what has always been traditional country music. How do you adjust? I mean, do you not and let it come back, or do you... You don't want to change yourself as an artist to adapt to something that you necessarily don't believe in, but how do you how do you approach that? Man, it's, it's kind of funny you say that as well, too, because, it, you know, for anybody out there listening who's, you know, a songwriter and stuff like that, it's literally what it comes down to is if, if you were trying to write a song and be like a Luke Combs or somebody on the radio right now, you're already behind the ball. Yeah, you're, so you're about- you need to come up with your own new kind of uniqueness sound. I mean, you think about like when L. Dean came out, he had this like rock kind of sound. And like my new favorite artist right now, I guess newcomer artist is actually Hardy. Hardy, some of his songs, like, man, he's bringing some like, I don't know, like Motley Crue, like Slayer kind of like licks into his like, mm-hmm. you know, country songs. I'm like, wow, man, he's bringing like rock right into this. So it's, it's that uniqueness of trying to find your own little niche to separate yourself from everybody else. Um, mm-hmm. So I think to answer your question is like, I just try to, you know, just stay true to, you know, my kind of style and, and how I've always kind of been. And hopefully that will, you know, eventually be the next little curve. If that yeah, answers your that's, question. That's always, <laughs> yes, it does. And it, it always, it always seems to be, especially with, you know, music varies so much, but inside country music in particular, it seems to have varied so much in the recent past that that as an artist i just figured that's that's always got to be the transition you're right like you you say if you're if you're going to even start doing hardy now and start you're going to be late you've got to be true to yourself and that's i just would find that sometimes hard and i maybe discouraging that that uh that to garner the attention and stuff it, it just it doesn't necessarily come down to writing the best song or the playing the prettiest melody it's just you know, I guess it's a lot of what you talked about when you said, you know, seeing the big show of Kenny Chesney. He's amazing, and he writes amazing songs. This has nothing to do with Kenny Chesney, but there is a big show aspect to country music, it seems like, these days. Oh, yeah, I mean, and and honestly, I can I always go back to kind of Garth Brooks of this stuff. You look back at his, like, mm. early 90s, he is the guy who brought, like, pyrotechnics and a rock show to country. Before yeah. that, you know, these guys had, you know, blanketed, you know, beam lights kind of shine down, flashing here and there, just stand up there, tipping their cowboy hat and saying, oh, hello, little darling. You know, like, yeah. now this guy's running around doing jumping jacks, doing the splits, you know, diving into crowds and stuff. <laughs> yeah. And he brought that, like, rock aspect to it. And that's what you see nowadays. Is like, everybody has mimicked that thing, and it's just who can do it bigger and better now. I, I saw a couple classic country music uh, singers back in the day it probably I would say late 90s it was and I'll mention I don't care they're never gonna you know come looking for me Alan Jackson and George Strait and they're amazing and song after song after song after song was amazing but it was the most boring concert I was ever at in my <laughs> life it was just like there was no entertainment aspect to it at all it's, it was strictly I hope you're here for this music yeah yep then now I'm thinking of I've, I've seen Brad Paisley I've seen Keith Urban. I've seen these guys uh, and Carrie Underwood and these that put on the show along with the music. And it, and it, I guess it really does make a huge difference that that has to be part of it now. That has to be part of the, 
package. And it sounds like Brick, and it sounds like you really enjoy the live show. So I'm just I was sitting here thinking while you're talking with 2020. Well, let's go back before 2020. How how, how many shows? How many shows were you doing a year before we got hit with uh, coronavirus? Man, I think my biggest year ever was like almost 176 shows. Wow. Um, And that's between full band, solo acoustic, um, anything from like just me and my guitar up to a five-piece, six-piece band. You know, we were playing over in Pittsburgh and down in uh, Charleston and Colorado and, and everywhere. And then, you know, 2020 hit, and um, since what it, what it really hit us at, like, May? Yeah, really March. Kind of, kind of smacked us. Yeah, 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 March. So from March to, like, maybe, like, end of June, early July, because my last full band show that I have played this year was the 4th of July, and it's only because the bar owner refused to cancel. And so we had this <laughs> whole, like, you know, kind of, like, fourth of july covid party in this little uh little town middle of nowhere in a, in a parking lot by his bar like we went on the back of this like semi-trailer and just rocked out and you know people came out you know they had fun they kept their little distances and stuff but you know if you get into the smaller towns they don't really care anyways um, yeah and that's what that's what kind of kills me right now because i enjoy so much the camaraderie of the band like we're always like joking with each other on stage we're pointing people out in the crowd and like all the kind of fun stuff that goes along with it. And don't get me wrong, I enjoy playing, you know, acoustic shows and still getting the interaction with people, but it, there's just something about, the, like, the whole band sound and just playing that with, like, lights flashing and just every harmonies and everything. It's, you just can't beat it. Well, and you, you just released, you know, Megan, the, the single, and you really can't do anything to follow it with, a, you know, any type of tour or support it by playing, you know, you really are kind of uh, handcuffed right now. Man, that's that's it too because a lot of the shows that I am still playing are like, you know, it's 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 been a lot of like private backyard party stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, bars that have outdoor tiki bars or venues and stuff like that where it can be like me up to a three-piece band. And even on the, I have another show coming up December 4th as a full band and two of my band members are like, dude, like we're not going to come play it because like we just don't know where this is going to be at. We're still kind of scared of it. I'm like, well, you know, not to you know go out there and be all crazy. Like I'm not going to keep myself, like you said, handcuffed. Like I'm still going to go out and play a show because I want to play a show. And obviously mm. people want to come see a show. So, yeah, that's the hardest part. It's been, we've been just doing um, promoting it online, you know, Facebook Lives, um, Instagram stuff. Uh, we were fortunate enough to be put on an editorial list uh, on Spotify. It was in oh, music Nashville. Uh, that's helped boost some spins and, and kind of getting the, the whole thing out there. So it's a struggle right now. Is Nashville home for you now? Man, so my home has always been Milwaukee. When I was part of this other band for a long time, when I quit and signed that deal with Melissa, I was traveling back and forth every other week, like to the point where I was renting a place and I, I was there more than I was here. And then we had a daughter about, uh, she's two years old now, so a little over two years ago. And so it's kind of been, you know, mostly in Milwaukee area. And so just kind of building that fan base locally, regionally, uh, but still making my way down there as, as often as I can, you know, as long as the flights keep going, because I don't feel like driving that far anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> next time I drive, I'll come say hi to you guys in Kentucky. Yeah, man. <laughs> there you please. go. Stop yeah. by us. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I literally went from like, every other week for three years straight to like you know, every other month till I've only been down there twice this whole year because of the whole pandemic. And that was oh, literally yeah. just to record this song. 
That sucks. That sucks. Oh, that, that so you you've literally been down just to record the song. I mean, to not be able to go down to push it to release it to have any type of that just is brutal. And that song being Megan, correct? Yep. Well, let's uh let's insert that right here and give a little listen. Then we'll talk about the process on All that right. a little bit. Let's do it. Just start with my heart It's where it all began The day I laid my eyes on you I found my best friend Now here we are You've got one hand on the door I was the guy who made you smile Now you can't take no more Like a tide Tell me a little bit about the process on writing that song. You know, I, I, your wife's name's Megan, right? Yeah. How much time you got? No. <laughs> Go ahead, bro. We're here all night. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I mean, if you go through any of my songs, this is going to be the most, you know, heartfelt, down-to-earth song I've ever written. little backstory of it. Megan and I own a tour company in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We do like city tours and stuff like that. Megan is also a dental hygienist and a hairstylist and also Good added a two-year-old baby to that. Oh, my So gosh. besides me playing music literally Thursday through Sunday every week, um, I help out with tours when it's absolutely needed. And then I also do medical sales for like a day job for insurance. Um, right now, it's all COVID testing stuff. Oh, yeah. So we were literally passing ships in the night. Like it was kind of like, hi, goodbye every day and this was going on and it got to the point where like every time we were talking we were just arguing with each other and so it was about january february where she actually i had her her attorney called me and said hey uh you're going through a divorce and i was like what and so me and her had been seeing you know some therapy and talk with each other and it just got to that point where she just was like i'm, I'm done and she's like you're not you're not home enough and you know, we had our different arguments about different things like that and so I actually was living at my parents' house about a month and a half, swapping time with our daughter. And when our governor put this you know, mandate saying, you know, everybody is at home for the next 30 days, like you're not going to work, you're not doing anything, like shut her down. I uh, called her up. I said, well, here's the deal. Like I, I'm going to see my daughter. And she goes, the only way you're going to see her is if you come home. And I'm like, well, I didn't want to leave the first place, so I'm coming home. <laughs> so it's literally it, the pandemic. And you know, unfortunately for a lot of people I've talked to has actually is causing divorces. For us, it literally saved our marriage. Yeah. It took that oh, time cool. for us to actually have to like drop 
all three jobs we were doing and, you know, reconnect. Um, got stuff done around the house. We we're actually having like adult conversations um, and just that whole reconnection, like figuring out why we loved each other in the first place. And mm-hmm. so on the second month, when our governor's like, by the way, we're going to extend this, uh, me and Megan looked at each other. Uh, Melissa and her husband also own a property down in St. Augustine, Florida. And so I said, you know what? We're getting out of here. Like, I am not sitting in this house for another month. Let's go. So I called her up. I said, we're coming to Florida. They were down there at the time anyways. So we got in the car. We drove down. Uh, you know, again, Remy's, she wasn't even two at that point yet. Um, but so we drove down, made it all the way to Nashville, and then slept there because Remy had waking up at that point, and I wasn't going to do another 12 hours of her screaming at me. Um, <laughs> so we slept there for the night, went down to Florida, and we were there for a week. And that's actually where we sat down and wrote that song. Um, we were, had a little, Melissa had bought a little kiddie pool for Remy to play outside with. Um, so her and Megan were outside with Sean, just kind of, you know, hanging out. Melissa called me into the little writing room she had. She goes, I have this idea. Let me know what you think. And she just kind of started blurting out some words. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And it, like, it was probably the fastest song we've ever written to because it's literally my life. It's like, you know, I'll start with my heart. This is where it all began. And so that's how that song came about. It was pretty much a, like, a begging and a thank you to Megan saying, like, thank you for giving me the second chance for us to, you know, realize that we can make this still work and still be a family. Now, that's pretty cool. So when did Megan hear this? Megan heard it originally when we, when we first wrote it um, down there. As soon as we got it done and kind of tweaked it around a little bit, uh, we played it for Sean first. And Sean's like, man, this song's amazing. This is Melissa's husband again. And so we're like, hey, Megan, come in here. We sat her down. I'm like, here's a song. And like, now me, like, I don't get nervous playing songs or playing out in front of crowds and stuff. But man, I tell you what, I was red in the face. And I was like, what is she going to think of this song? <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was probably the most nervous I've ever been. And like, I'm like, well, what do you think? She, and she just kind of like got a little teary eyed. She's like, wow. And she's like, I'm a little taken back that, you know, my name is the title of a song and that you're going to let the whole world know our life. But at the same time, she goes, that is amazing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so thank you for this. That's awesome. Yeah, dude, for sure. My, my wife and I lived that life where we were passing ships in the night where she was working a shift and I was where it is the most difficult thing to do in the world. And you realize real quick how much that like it's just it, it's. It's crazy that you don't you don't have those adult conversations. You don't see each other when you do. It's because you need to squeeze to, everything in. Yeah. What, what do you need from me? What? What? It's it's yeah. It's so that's very very cool story. Very poignant. And you know what? I just keep picturing in my mind somebody getting their teeth cleaned and their hair done at the same time. Well, and <laughs> and they all, another business to start right there, yeah. Yeah, and, and they always have music on overhead. So what? And the, and the song Megan comes on, yeah. and Megan's doing all that for you. That'd be pretty amazing. <laughs> you've uh, you've gotten Megan written and released. What's uh, what's on the horizon, man? What do you have? Do you have a, a set of songs that are ready to come out after this? Are you going to sit down and start working out the next thing? Man, actually, we have a bunch of songs that we've written. You know, the hard part is, you know, with quarantine again, it was like, oh, yeah. you know, there is no way of getting into these studios and recording because it's like, even this last song, you know, these musicians were just like, hey, man, good to see you all through a plexiglass window. You know, we're not shaking hands, not doing anything. Um, it's just, it's finding that time and finding these musicians who were 
I guess, willing to come in and actually record stuff. Hmm. And, you know, kind of back to what you guys were saying earlier, is like, you know, being in Milwaukee, I mean, the technology these days has been an amazing thing. All because, you know, I can be here and I can, you know, write songs. I can do like Zoom meetings with different writers and we can write it right in face to face online. Like, I don't have to be exactly in a room with them. And uh, even a lot of these guys in, in Nashville, too, like, they'll record their section at home and they'll just send the file over to the producer and then they'll just do it that way. So it's, it's kind of cool. So I guess the next, the next goal, I want to have a whole album come out. I have about eight or nine songs ready to go, so I want to get up to 12. But right now we're just kind of focusing on this song and see what we can do with it and hopefully it uh, kind of breaks open that door for us. Thinking about songwriting and you, and you mentioned writing that song with Melissa, do you write, do you do your writing mostly collaboratively or do you prefer solo or do you prefer one or the other or what's that look like for you? You know, it's, it's, it's kind of a unique thing right there because um, I enjoy both, to be honest with you. There'll be certain times like so, uh, you know, here's an example and I'm coining this phrase right now so nobody can steal it from me. Um, <laughs> my, <laughs> my wife and I went to this, uh, we had a babysitter come and we went to this dinner and we went up staying at a friend's house, and um, you know, we literally slept in. Like, I had to wear a suit for this, like, you know, cigar. You guys like a cigar and whiskey dinner? That's what it was. No, okay, um, all right. So we woke up the next morning because we had to get back downtown. And I looked at my wife. I'm like, man, I feel like we're doing a walk of shame right now. And she just started <laughs> laughing. I'm like, and I looked at her. I'm like, except there's no walk in the shame. And I was like, I'm like, there's no shame in this walk. And she's just like, really? I was like, so it just like popped in my head. So I started. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was like, song. That's why, yo, that is copywritten by Breck and Miles, LLC. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was just one of those things where, um, you know, ideas like that pop in my head. And I'll sit down, I'll start writing a song. And if I ever get stuck, it's when I'll have a chance to like, you know, call Melissa or call somebody else. Be like, hey, like I have this idea. This is what I have so far. Do you guys want to jump on it? Do you not want to jump on it? Um, so a lot of my songs actually start out by like just me writing and playing, and then um, I'll always have the opportunity to, to bring somebody in, and then we'll just we'll certain we'll obviously schedule you know different times to write with other artists as well. I was just getting ready to ask if you scheduled your songwriting or if that was something you just did when it came to you or. Um, so a lot of stuff is like you know when it when it just comes to me, I'll sit down with a guitar and I'll just start playing and doing stuff like that. Uh, but there will be certain times that we'll actually schedule with different artists to like, hey, man, we're going to like knock out two o'clock today and, you know, go from there and get her done. I think uh, I'm the best one verse, real good chorus writer. And then I can't write anything after that. I'm just going to start sending them to people and be like, hey, you want to finish this crap for me? <laughs> yeah. like, I think it was Don Helly that said it. You'll say we're good a third. So you're good. Just, you know, write the hook and you're a third of the writer. Perfect. <laughs> Well, you know, Neil, we've been talking about starting a Zoom songwriting group. I know, but I'm right here. Well, I'm just we kidding. Were going to, <laughs> we want to include a few others. Well, we need somebody that can finish your ideas. I know. <laughs> no, that, that's, I mean, for me personally, that's kind of the kicker, too, is like I can start and finish songs, but when it comes to choruses, I, like, I just draw blanks. Because, I mean, you, you, think about it, you think about a song, it's like, you know, the intros or the verses, like it's telling a story, and then the chorus has to, like, make the story make sense then you always have the bridge which is like a story within the story and so like you know i'll get to that point i'm like 
I don't have to say here. Let me call somebody really quick. <laughs> <laughs> call Neil next time. Hey, man, let's work together, Brecken. I think I got your chorus, and you can finish the rest of the song. <laughs> Done. There you go. I had one more thing I wanted to bring up, and just uh, kind of happened by accident when we were setting up this uh, this meeting and this podcast recording. We got some emails crossed, and it looked like from the email that that you're pretty involved with a nonprofit. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I remember I responded. I was like, oops, sorry, guys. That's not you. <laughs> My bad. Yeah, so how did that come about, and what's your involvement with that? Man, so Generations Against Bullying is what it's called. Um, they are a phenomenal organization. Um, it came about, actually, the lady herself who kind of started it, um, she is friends with my mom. And so my mom and I were talking one day and she's like, Hey, you should really like look into get involved with, you know, a charity. And I've always looked and my wife and I have talked about different charities in general, like you know, what really strikes home with me. And so, um, for them specifically is because, you know, I think at every point somebody in their life was actually bullied and they can say they weren't, but at some point somebody was called a name they didn't like, and you know, it affected them a certain way. Um, for me, when I was a kid, I was always on a little bit of heavier side. And so people would, you know, tease me for my weight. And so that got me into like, you know, hey, man, like, I'm not fat. I can do this. And so I would start working out more. You know, I got into sports, got into athletics. And I was able to challenge, or channel that kind of stuff also into like my outlet was playing guitar and singing and, and doing that. Um, so what this Generation Against Bullying does is they actually go into different schools and have different things all around, um, and they're actually they're, they're branching out to go national right now, uh, and they are bringing bullying awareness to you know, the general public and our, our younger generations because there are so many deaths and suicides or kids that are starting to use harder drugs because they have nowhere else to turn because of the bullying they've gone through, like online bullying, face-to-face bullying, being picked on. So my whole philosophy, if you guys ever get a chance to look at the back of my guitar, it says be happy because, you know, you only have this one life. You know, just love everybody, you know, even if somebody's a little different than you are. Like, we all make up our own uniqueness, so there's no reason to make fun of somebody for what they have going on that you might not have. I think that's a great cause, and, and I think it's um, more critical now than ever. You know, when we, oh, were, yeah. when we were kids, if I had someone bullying me at school... Uh, I could avoid them, and when I was gone from school, it was over, and I hung around with people I liked. And you know, with social media and everything we have now, even games. there's yeah, there's no games. Yeah, there's no getting away from it for some no. kids. Nope. No, that's exactly it. And it's so it's so sad, you know, the ages you see sometimes. You know, you could it's it's hard to even it's hard to even imagine a seven or eight year old kid ever even contemplating or following through with, with a suicide because of something like that. Mm, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's sad. That's what I love about this organization is that they are literally going in and I've, I've had opportunity to go into a couple different schools and we talked from elementary kids, middle school and high schoolers all in the same day. And, you know, I brought in, you know, obviously my music aspect of things. Um, they actually had one guy who, um, I wish I remembered his name now, but you know, he was bullied to being in a game and he actually spent time in prison for, you know, robbing and, and, and killing somebody all because it was like a gang initiation and he was bullied into being a part of that. Hmm. So, um, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's awesome to be able to go in there and just kind of tell these kids like, you know, off the bat, like, you know, who here has been bullied? And we're like, don't be afraid. Like, well, all of us adults on stage, like we raise our hands, like we've all been bullied, which then gives these kids this confidence being like, they kind of you know, slowly put it up. Like you're being called on by a teacher. You don't really want to answer the question. So they throw their hands up and 
you know, we start talking to them and being like, hey, you know, so you're always here. You reach out. Here's my email. Here's my Facebook, whatever. Like, let's chat. That's a phenomenal so, organization to be in, man. That's awesome. That is awesome. So before we get off here, Brecken, our listeners who want to be, want to follow Brecken Miles, where, where do they go? Um, BreckenMiles.com, and it is spelled just like Colorado, B-R-E-C-K-E-N, and it's M-I-L-E-S. Um, that's my webpage, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. Every handle is just Brecken Miles, so super easy to find. Oh. Even my email. You want to email me? Throw an at Gmail on the back of that name, and here you go. There you go, <laughs> man. <laughs> I mean, that's full access. Do not give your phone number. No, <laughs> that's, that's 8675309 there you go <laughs> alright Brecken well we appreciate you coming on Top Hill Recording Podcast and we're going to go out with your song I'm Good With That you have anything you'd like to tell us about that song I'm Good With That came about it was with um, again my buddy Bill Luigi and actually Brian DeVoe so anybody who doesn't know that name that Brian sounds DeVoe, familiar who is Brian yeah. DeVoe he was from the band Nine Days. So this is a story of a girl. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, okay. So man, we sat in this room, and we had the we had the right schedule, you know, and how you go into different rooms with different people is like you all kind of come in with like your phone and different like hooks that you may have thought of, or hey, what do you want to write about today, or hey, how was your day today, and um, just kind of you know just BNSing your way through it to begin with. And so while they're just chatting, I just started just jamming this like random beat. And they both kind of looked at me like, yeah, man, I'm good with that. I'm like, you're good with what? They're like, I'm, I'm good with that. I'm like, you're good with what I'm playing? They're like, yeah, man, that sounds cool. I'm good with that. I'm like, and then Bill literally looked up and goes, song title, I'm good with that. <laughs> and I'm like, we just decided to go from there. And then all of a sudden, like, the juices started flowing. And it's like, you know, if you want to see how the night feels under your high heels, I'm good with that. Um, so, and again, you know, a lot of these songs have the influence, you know, and obviously Brian at the time was thinking about his now wife. I'm thinking about my wife. And so we're just kind of throwing different ideas in there about like, you know, different things that they both have done. It's like, yeah, man, that's cool. Let's do that. Yeah, I'm good with that. So that's kind of how that came about. <laughs> All that, right. That one seems like it had to be a pretty quick one that came together. Yeah, it was decent. It's about an hour and a half, two hours on that one. Because, again, the first 10 minutes was me and him arguing about what he was good with. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm good with that. I'm good with that, we'll brother. We'll see you next week, listeners. Thanks, Brecken. Thank you, guys. If you want to see how the night feels under your high heels, I'm good with that. We can turn all the lights down, dance you around this house. I'm good with that. It doesn't matter which way it goes. We'll take it fast or take it slow. Get your you and me on. Whoa. Tell me what your heart wants. I can't get enough of you. you back Hey, that's what I'm here to do And I'm good with that We can spend some old vinyl A rock and roll revival I'm good with that Oh, we can kick it country Like me on junkies I'm good with that 
Rican bar, crawl till 2 a.m. Or light a fire.